I think the tradition needs to move. Well, I don't know if it needs to move on because I'm not there in the middle of it, but all traditions right. need to move on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a living tradition. That's right. Yes, you have to okay, hand it to the next generation. 100%. Does that mean I'm done already? No, <laughs> that means you're the one receiving. I keep I'm thinking about okay. what my grandmother would think of your podcast. <laughs> she hate it, but I don't care. <laughs> well, bless my grandmother's heart. She would be so mad at me, but she has passed on. So I felt like it would be okay to Exactly. <laughs> exactly. She's just haunting me up here. But anyway. <laughs> you're holding the mantle now. So just real quick, my book is an extension of my MFA thesis, which was um, the exploration and history of Pennsylvania Dutch design. So it should be really cool when it comes out. So that would be really neat. I and that's what attracted me on the first time. First oh, was cool. you're doing fine arts with Pennsylvania Dutch themes. I thought that was amazing. Oh, gosh, thank you for that. And because you were in school like the same time my daughter was, you know, and yes. it meant, that meant a lot to me. Yeah, that's cool. And she was studying design too, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Yeah, so just to begin, I was actually going to ask you, because I have a hard time remembering always. Um, so we know each other through Instagram, I guess, right? And yeah. maybe through like a hashtag following, we found each other. Probably, yeah, probably a Pennsylvania yeah. hashtag. Yeah, that's like a nice, nice way that Instagram works, right? Yeah, and, I, I, so and I'm sure that hex signs caught my eye. Yes, for sure. And that's something that I wasn't doing too much of for a little while. I really... Um, yeah, but there's a whole vocabulary beyond the hex sign that, and someone asked me the other day, how do you know when something's Pennsylvania Dutch? I said, well, there's a visual vocabulary for yeah. this set of symbols and this set of colors, and if you put them together, it's Pennsylvania Dutch, and you were doing that. I could see it. Yeah, it's like an aesthetic uh, motif vocabulary for sure. Yeah, right. yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I love, um, and I didn't know you were Pennsylvania Dutch until I was like really paying more attention. Um, so tell me about that. So I've been exploring a lot for several years about um, belonging and place and trying to find a place. And I thought this was myself on this journey. And turns out a lot of people are going through the yes. same thing. I really might, I'm like, wow, I feel so not alone suddenly, even during this strange time. Um, but the diaspora of the Pennsylvania Dutch and where are you located? And, and can you tell me a little bit about that background and how um, you came to be where you are? Sure, I'm in um, Noblesville, Indiana, which is just north of, of Indianapolis. Okay. It's become an Indianapolis suburb. And I taught in Indianapolis schools for years, so I, I am connected to Indianapolis, but I'm no longer teaching, so I guess I'm not anymore, but I, I am. Um, You're always a teacher, right? <laughs> well, I am a teacher, there's no question. I ended up here, my mother grew up in Philadelphia. Okay. Um, and my father, Can my I mother's- Can I section? Because I'm, um, I'm Abington. really close to Philly. Okay, my dad taught, or taught, my dad was a nurse at Abington. Okay, oh, well, Very my, cool. I have an uncle who's probably a doctor he worked with. Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, and I have I still have family all over Philadelphia, Chestnut Hill, and I don't okay. know, they're not, and my grandparents lived in Glenside when I was growing up, and then they moved out to Willow Street when they retired, so I um, spent a lot of time, my grandfather grew up in Lancaster, so I spent a lot of time, you know, within two or three miles of where he grew up, which was. Oh, wow. It's cool. Yeah, he was on East King Street. Um, but my my mother and my my grandfather was a heating and air conditioning guy. He worked for Carrier. 
my other grandfather was a heating and air conditioning guy working for Carrier, and they both got transferred to Syracuse in the late 50s. And that's how my parents met you know, on a blind oh, date. Yeah, because nobody knew it. You know, they'd just been thrown in this community and the kids didn't know anybody. So somebody connected them and that that's how they met. And then my grandfather's best friend in Syracuse opened a heating and air conditioning um, warehouse, middleman, I don't know, some kind of business here that brought my grandfather and my father and my mother, since they were um, once they were married, out here in about 1960. And I was married, I was born in 1962. So I've been here all my life. But I've been connected to Philadelphia and Lancaster through my grandparents. And I'm, my grandmother is all Pennsylvania Dutch, so I'm a quarter Pennsylvania Dutch. And that's been a huge part of my of my upbringing and who I am. But nobody in Indiana even knows what that is to acknowledge it. Yeah. <laughs> for, for some reason, I thought you were in Maine. I don't know why. Well, so that's, there are two influences in my art. One is my Pennsylvania Dutch background, and one is... My parents had money and were wealthy, and so we spent summers in Maine. Uh, they, oh, nice. My mom grew up summering in Maine, and when my parents made it or you know had, had the income to do it, they bought a house in Maine. So I spent my summers in Maine, and that's that and the Pennsylvania Dutch stuff are my two huge influences in my art, and they come together in very interesting ways. Yes, indeed, for sure. Um, so just tell me really quickly, because I'm a... I call myself a recovering public school teacher. Um, I taught <laughs> I art. Write. Yes, I know you can. Because I watched the documentary and I was like, oh my gosh, this is me. Um, what did you teach when you taught? I taught everything In from class. third to sixth grade. And the first yeah. 15 years, I was in um, an affluent suburb, the one I grew up in, in, in um, North Indianapolis. It's not normal, so mm -hmm. it's a different community. Um, and it was fine. But and but the kids had everything they ever wanted, and the mm. parents were hard to deal with. And I don't I don't want yeah. to go into that in a great deal. I think you, we can all relate. And sure. you know, and they should be. They're empowered and they understand, and that's fine. Um, and then I went to I quit teaching and became an artist. I was I've always been an artist. You don't become an artist. Yeah, right, but I right. was working in art, pretending I was an artist, a full time artist. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of pretending in my life, which is a word I hate to use because. That's an imposter syndrome, which we could talk about <laughs> for hours. Um, yeah. But I, I, so I was an artist for a few years and then, um, or for a few months, six months. And then somebody told me about a school in Indianapolis where the teachers developed the curriculum based on what the kids want to learn and that we weren't under the, the big umbrella of test scores. And, right. and it was, and the teachers went all over the country to teach other teachers how to do this. It was based on multiple intelligences. And we worked directly with Howard Gardner out of Harvard. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was like, I don't want to teach. I don't believe it. And she, she scheduled an interview, and I was pissed as hell. And I went to the interview because that's what you do when you have one. Oh, yeah. and, I, and I got the job, and it was for real. And my um, principal was a, a former art teacher. She said, if you want to paint during your prep period, paint. So I, I actually built boats during prep periods, and I did That's paint. Amazing. And I, I would leave the campus to go do research at the library and things like that. So that was an amazing four or five years of my 34-year teaching career. <laughs> and then it, then it turned into a typical urban school. Yeah. Scores and no child left behind and all kinds of pressures were exerted on yeah. the school um, where it became more political than about learning. And I was so far in and so much seniority i couldn't afford not to teach right but it was awful i wasn't teaching and i wasn't practicing best practices in fact i think i, I won't say that on, on camera 
Um, but I wasn't practicing best practices. No, I know. Oh, long shot. And um, I was really unhappy. And I stuck to it um, for a lot of reasons. One is the money. Another one is because everybody told me I was a good teacher. I needed to stay teaching. And I'm going to tell anybody out there listening, if somebody tells you you need to do something because you're good at it, bullshit. Yeah. You need to do what you need to do, not what they think you should do. I was told right. by family after family that they're so thrilled to finally have a male role model with their sons, which is fantastic. Sure. It's not who I wanted to be or what I wanted to right. do. Um, in most cases, there are plenty of cases where I was the male role model, and I still do that. Um, so, I, yeah, it was a stressful, horrible, terrible career. <laughs> Yeah. A few bright moments. I am a good teacher and I love to teach and I love kids. But the mm -hmm. whole um, infrastructure, all, everything around it just is awful. It's terrible. Yeah, it's a very broken system and has been yeah. for a long time, for and sure. I can very much identify with that. I lasted five years and I went on two maternity leaves. So my <laughs> son is actually a product of me just wanting to not be teaching. <laughs> I wish I could have done that. I was like, listen, let's just have another one. I'll get my tubes tied and then I'll like move on from this job. Like, let's just take care of it. I just, it was, it was hard. I was in the inner city of Philly and it was not fun. Yeah, and I was in inner we city were, schools too. It's awful. We were at the bottom of the barrel, the art teachers, and they just threw us into these positions that were not art teaching positions at all, right. you know? And I was like a deer in headlights. I was so excited to get into education and it just turns out to be not what it's supposed to be but i think things hopefully cross your fingers are changing for the better maybe this will catapult us into a different situation but anyway i so see it here thing. Yeah, yeah and i don't i hope so i'm not even an advocate anymore i guess i am to some degree but i'm not out there i'm not fighting the fight anymore so yeah, i have a teaching studio and i bring people in here um awesome. which has ended you've with the, you've made your own classroom COVID. right yeah and i teach yeah. what i want and I have standards, they're my standards, and I do mentor kids, and I do mentor adults, and that was really wonderful up till March of last year, and it will it will be again. Oh, yeah, for sure. We're coming back. Yeah. I miss it. Yeah, I always say our vending events are sort of my new classroom. So I, it's funny because my husband and I vend together, and he'll sit there, and he's super quiet and won't even really look up, and I'm sitting there blabbling on and talking to everybody and all the kids, and like, you know, we'll, we'll talk, but then something that I found really fascinating, which we'll get into the film in a couple minutes or whenever you'd like. Um, in your film, it just spoke so deeply to me about, um, I think you mentioned, I'm sure you mentioned that you are, because this is a word that's ticked in my head, that you're an introvert, as am I, which I was not identifying myself as one for a long time. I was trying to push right. myself and just, and just assuming that it was just anxiety and it wasn't like a personality thing. And, and I really, it really spoke a lot to me because I have a hard time sometimes vending, but also in the teaching realm, like just feeling like you're performing at all times. It's very intense. And um, I really, I really, I really want to get into the film um, because it was so, it was so beautifully done. And I just recently watched it. I'm sorry, it took so long. Well, that's all right. It's fresh now. Right? <laughs> yeah. In preparation for this, I thought, oh my gosh, I have to watch this film. And I was blown away that the film is done so beautifully and so eloquently and um, the cinematography is so gorgeous and your story is so amazing. So uh, everybody listening to me, check out um, 50 Little Birds, yes? Is it yep. .com? I had yep. it up. Um, it's just an incredible- And I have no uh, idea where to tell people to watch it right now. So yeah, you know, I just, yeah, I Googled it and I found it. I think it was like, um, 
and I'll put it in the show notes, the link. Okay. I think it was a, a, maybe an NPR station or something like that. Yeah, our local one like, carries it. So yeah. yeah, it was really beautiful. So um, we can talk about that. Maybe we'll talk about the kinds of art that you do first. Um, so you're, are you self-taught then if you kind of got into it? <laughs> Whatever yes. you want to call that. <laughs> what do they call that in art education? I think we're all self-taught. But when you said something about pretending, I think that's what you said. I always think of it about like imagining. Like I feel like we're all very, people like you and I are very um, creative and never lost that childlike innocence where you're, I wouldn't really call it pretending as much as imagining. <laughs> I like that better. Oh, yeah. yeah, I like it too. It's so much better. Right? <laughs> but there's always things going on in my head. I have a hard time going to sleep because I'm always thinking of new things and imagining oh, new worlds. Three, three o'clock to four o'clock a.m. I'm just, my mind is going nuts every night. That's, yeah. And you know what? It's funny. Historically, for Pennsylvania Dutch people, it was historically a thing. They would get up in the middle of the night and like spend a couple hours like reading or doing something creative and right. then go back to sleep. It's crazy. So I think that's still like a thing. I'm trying to embrace it, but it's hard. It's tricky. It's very tricky. And then you you get off your schedule and then you're yes. just like, what day is it? I have no idea. I work for myself. About, so what schedule do I need to have? <laughs> I think in the film you talked about um, getting into building ukuleles first. Is that correct? Oh, there, yeah. I mean, we can, you? we can go down a million trails. I think I, I do want to connect with the Pennsylvania Dutchness and, and just talk about my mother was a, yeah. um, a, a decorative painter. And um, interesting because it's the 60s, 70s Pennsylvania Dutch vibe. And I, I had one piece and I gave it to my daughter and I, I have a photo somewhere, but she'd do like wood purses. And and, and um, my father was a heat and air guy. I could get her um, metal discs and she'd paint hex signs on those. And you'd see them around town and you'd see ladies carrying these Pennsylvania Dutch purses. And she did a million cutout um christmas tree ornaments and i see you're doing those so that makes me very happy yeah. i do those too um oh, that's so cool and they were distal thanks and drums and soldiers a lot of things that were Pennsylvania dutch but it's where it all came from sure. and so i understood the the tulips and the hearts and the distal thanks and all those things from an early age i remember drawing them when i was really really little um oh, wow. so i i yeah i've always been driven to learn how to make the things that i that i like and that i love so I've been through phases of boat building and um, just general woodworking. And you, you mentioned the ukulele. So I, my parents and my grandma, my parents grandmother, played ukulele. She went to Penn State. Hi. And um, in the 20s, when ukulele was like the iPod or the, you know, it's, it's how you carried music around. You, you carried a ukulele. Mm -hmm. And she was a music major. And so she played ukulele and my mother did. And my father did, but he came about it a different way. And he's not Pennsylvania, so I'll ignore him for now. Um, <laughs> He is if we go back far enough, but aren't we all really? <laughs> I think so. Um, God bless him. Anyway, so anyway, I grew up playing ukulele, and I don't know. Years ago, two thousand four, I got it in my crawl that I needed to learn how to build ukuleles because you couldn't buy a decent one, and mm. I knew how to make things, so why shouldn't I make them? So I got a grant a fellowship to go to Hawaii and learn to build ukuleles and study with ukulele masters. And I had a ukulele group in the Indianapolis public schools, a student oh. group. It was just it was an amazing group. Um, they're oh, called cool. the Key Strummers. And they had an, it was the early days of the internet. So you could really, really leap into the world. And we had a um, international following. When I went to Hawaii, everybody knew who I was because of my students, which was just, and, you know, we were a 
group of kids playing ukulele in Indianapolis, Indiana, but it, it so was cool. it was a big deal. So I um, learned to build ukuleles and I came back and I did that for a couple of years. And I discovered that that's not the kind of artist I was. I'd done a lot of sign painting and painting and architectural renderings and things where you do what people ask you to do and you hand it to them and they hand you the 50 bucks or whatever. Um, in ukuleles, I discovered it was different. <laughs> they, mm -hmm. they were very expensive. They had to be. And you'd hand them over and they were like, well, that's not exactly what I had in mind. Can you do this? And as an artist, and I am, there are two kinds of ukulele builders. There are these engineering analytical ukulele builders and there are artist ukulele builders. And I think you know which one I, which end of that spectrum I'm on. And once I was finished, I didn't want to deal with it anymore. I just right. went on to the next project, which probably yeah. wasn't even a ukulele. It might've been drawing at my desk. I don't know. Um, so that really started to bother me to, um, have these ukes that were perfectly good, rejected by, um, God bless them, but doctors and lawyers and, and, and engineers, anal retentive non-artist people, um, who are still my customers. You've got to learn to work for these people, but I had oh, no, I know, yep. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. And I wasn't going to through that medium. I learned that quickly. Even though mm -hmm. I've, I've been teaching ukulele now, well, I've been playing for over 50 years and teaching for over 25 they still don't think I know what I'm talking about. Um, and I'm generalizing. Most people do, but there are those that don't. Um, so anyway, I, I was on a summer break. You have a school teacher, or winter break. It was after Christmas. I was in year-round school. So my kids had gone back to school, and I still had another week. My wife was at work. My kids were at school. I didn't have any money um, to buy tuners or fine wood or strings or anything to get a ukulele. So I thought, looked around my shop. and like, what could I build? And I've been involved with Traditional Arts Indiana, which is a folk, the folklore arm of Indianapolis, or Indiana University, IU. And um, I looked at a lot of the traditions that they were documenting and realized, and they, and they documented me as a ukulele player. That's how I got involved with them, because three generations of ukulele playing is a tradition. And, and they documented that, and, and we did videos and interviews and all kinds of things. And I thought, I should be doing something that's ethnically mine. That's something that comes from mm -hmm. my tradition, my own tradition. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously ukulele was my tradition, but it's not an ethnic tradition. It's right, a Hawaiian right. instrument. So I looked at, um, at, um, at, at Pennsylvania Dutch carved birds, which I just think are fascinating and beautiful things. And so I started carving the birds in that tradition. So I was looking at Shimon and, now, I can't think of anybody else off the top of my list, but off the top of my mind. But I was looking at those early carvers and carving in their style or trying to, learning to. And I got really proficient at carving. And then um, Don Noyes, who's a, I don't know if he's Pennsylvania Dutch, but his birds are. Um, and he's near Columbus, Ohio. And he saw my work and suggested I get involved with um, being in the directory of classmen for early American life. And so I, I, like, I can't do that. What are you talking about? <laughs> and, and I juried into that with no problem whatsoever and have been for years. Um, and then I started doing early American shows all over Northeast Ohio and Connecticut. And I was supposed to be in Pennsylvania. I was supposed to be outside Philadelphia this year, but COVID yeah. nailed that. So I've been carving these birds, not, but not necessarily in a traditional Pennsylvania Dutch style. That's where I started. And I can do that. I'll do a distal fink bird a couple of times a year or tree of distal finks a couple of times a year. And they're very popular. I should do them all the time because they get everybody's attention. But I do what I want to do, not necessarily what the market wants me to do. Right. Um, and I do some Pennsylvania Dutch decorative painting. I've never tried it. Actually, I have sold it because I, I did um, a distal fink and heart game board 
that just sold. Yeah, really I saw well. that. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was gorgeous. That was fun was to very do. Very cool. That was yeah, a Parcheesi board. Cool. That comes from my grandparents, also that they played Parcheesi. So I, I like mm -hmm. the connections there. I'm talking 100 miles an hour. I'm sorry. No, you're doing a great job. No, it's perfect. Okay. Did they speed fight? Do you remember like ever hearing I, it? When I, although, I mean, you know, we'd have a thunderstorm and it'd be a Duna better, but I, yeah, sure. I, but I, I, so it was clear the language had come down, but I don't know what generation lost that. And I suspected you were going to ask me that. So I really thought about it. I suspect, I never knew my great grandparents, those right. great grandparents. Um, he was a German Reformed pastor. So I wouldn't be surprised if he spoke Pennsylvania Dutch. And I would be shocked if his parents didn't. So yeah, yeah. I think I'm probably three generations away from speaking it 24 seven. Sure. Yeah. And I, there's parts of me that would love to get it back, but here in central Indiana, what would I do with it? Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I, I'm learning to play bass. That's taking my energy. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's tricky. It's funny because my husband and I talk about this a lot because there's a real push here. You know, we're right in Pennsylvania, right in the Right. And I'd be really yeah. into that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're interested, Doug Mainford does a great like online classes and stuff he's a great a great guy to look at but yeah like you need to be able to talk to somebody in it you know to be able to practice but it's it's interesting because we sort of and we're both like very much are like this is like our language um but we all we always sort of find that um you know with art it's like a universal language you don't it's not going to separate anybody nobody's going to be right. left out or excluded so I always sort of like pull towards that I like to use some of the words you know, we like to make certain words become part of our vocabulary, similar to like how my parents would have been or something like that, you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's tough. If you didn't grow up with it, it's kind of a real, a real doozy. I tried, but it was sort of, uh, this is not my thing. So I'm just going to stick to art. Let me just do my research in art instead of spending this time, you know, because it's a huge time commitment, but right. it is, it's fascinating. I actually, um, I love listening to music in Pennsylvania Dutch and poetry because I find that like that sing-songy vibe helps me a lot um and it's just enjoyable to listen to it makes you feel like your ancestors are surrounding you you know absolutely but, uh, it's cool but yeah it's tricky if you don't have anybody i took a class and then i didn't have anybody to practice with so it was all and gone I, completely gone <laughs> i could have cost the amish at our farmers markets but i don't yeah exactly that's not what they're there for yeah and i don't really have much to talk to them about let me know another dumb englishman <laughs> like, they're just like who is this alien lady <laughs> exactly um, yeah no it's it's tricky and it's a very very typical um narrative too that it was sort of lost along the way probably you know during uh, world war ii and then thereafter sure. um, uh, you know my grandmother went to public school and she was forced to stop speaking it even though it was her first language so there was that whole you know moment in time where it was really looked frowned upon um very much so can i just ask you though what is your mother's name i'd love to look her up and um, yeah i would love to see we're connected so i um my grandmother's maiden name is romig r-o-m-i-g and sometimes they stick an h in there before or after the l yeah, sure and then christ which is christ but it was pronounced sure. christ. christian john christian was one of my ancestors that came to burks county from switzerland and what else are good heart which i'm sure was in german when he came I don't and know they were, they were, I, I would love to see. Well, don't all Pennsylvania Dutch people connect somewhere? I think so. Um, 150%. But I'm actually really curious to see if there's anything. Um, there was some really great publications around that time that did a lot of really great articles. Um, 
like the Folklife magazine and stuff. I wonder if your mm -hmm. mom was ever featured. Do you know if uh, oh, my mom was ever published? I don't think my mom was, no. No? Oh, okay. no I can't see her. Well, it's so funny that- <laughs> If she were, I would certainly know about it. Yeah. Because <laughs> her ego is about this big. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah, I know. I hear you. <laughs> you know how that is. Um, but I, no, I, I hear you talk, you're in the Only Valley, is that right? Yeah, we're in the Olay Valley, yep. So I had an aunt that lived in, in a farm called Haypenny Farm in the Olay Valley. Now, I don't have oh, okay. And I visited it right after I saw you in Cootstown. That's where I went next. Um, Did you? No, I'm remembering that. Did you? Was I there? Yes, I'm you, I met you and Hunter. I'm, I'm rarely there. <laughs> it was I'm the so hottest bad. day in the world. You have every excuse not to remember. But I met oh, you and Hunter. I don't remember. I, I was with my wife yeah, and my yeah, dachshund. Yeah. <laughs> oh nice i kind of do remember and i remember probably like gushing and being oh my gosh yes and i was probably talking and bubbly but you at the same time yeah oh, it was awful it was a terrible day we left we couldn't do it <laughs> it's literally the worst timing of an event ever it was it was awful <laughs> it really is and when am i ever going to be there again i went oh anyway oh that's really cool that's really so, cool. i couldn't remember i was trying to place if we had ever met in real life yeah we have yeah. So I drove down and found Hey Penny Farm in Oley Valley, and then I went down oh, to nice. uh, to um, Lidditz to my my I had a grand aunt that lived in Lidditz, so I went to see oh, her nice. house, and then then I went to my grandfather's house in Lancaster, and that was pretty much it. And if you drive Route Thirty east out of Lancaster, every cemetery has our people in it. Yeah, it's just wow. it's just everywhere. So my grandfather was from a Quaker family in Chester County that migrated up to Lancaster. So. All the so you know along thirty is pretty much where that meets. Sure, so yeah. both both sides of the family are all along there. Oh wow, that's so cool. And he would drive me to farm to farm to farm. And if I go there, I still find them all. I couldn't tell you where they are. Right. I could drive to them. And everybody's buried in paradise that of, of, that I know. Mm -hmm. Oh wow. In fact, I, I'll be taking my my mother there when she goes, if you, whenever that is. Yeah, <laughs> not gotcha. predicting that. That's not. No 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 no. <laughs> no it's so interesting because that's sort of what the book's about is that wrinkle in time like the 60s 70s and 80s the Pennsylvania Dutch designs got really really popular in um like trending they were like trending. Yeah. it was a very strange right. weird time but it's very cool very cool um topic to uh research and discuss but um so let's um hmm, let's see what did I write I made a bunch of notes um and that Route 30 thing, too, my grandmother always told us that we were related to Jacob Zook whenever we went by his oh, stand. But I don't, I've not, I've done the genealogy and I can't find it, but, but she claimed that information. Yes. Let's just go with it anyway. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, he's a very interesting cat, I'll tell you what. He, he made a lot of, he made a big boom in good and bad ways, you know, like incredible reach i mean incredible reach that man had I well, mean, that stuff was everywhere marketing it was yep. everywhere um you know but then i guess the big gripe is that uh some of it was um perpetrating the uh false narrative stuff you know all the like amish dutchy dumb dutchman like amish hexstein crazy stuff you know but um, you know what i've enjoyed about <laughs> your absolutely what i've enjoyed about your podcast is connecting that or disconnecting that from the Dutch traditions that were all underground that I never knew about, the paganism and those things that I knew existed, that right. I knew my, my grandmother would have said, you know, it's bullshit never existed. But sure. So all I, ever heard, 
<laughs> was the sick stuff, <laughs> but to find out that they're deeper roots. Yes. And I see this. Go ahead, you go. Well, I've gone. I've, I've been doing a lot more research, and I've been listening to your podcast. Good. So I've, I've got good. the books, I've, but I haven't. I haven't come to any conclusions, but I've been drilling down. Yeah, it's just fun to explore ideas. Um, it's interesting though because a lot of people sort of have this idea that the kitsch sort of covered us with a big blanket and kept us all kept us all um, shielded so that we could continue the the traditional work. Um, I tend to disagree with that, but I have friends that strongly agree with that. But um, I think it's actually what kept the folk the folk art alive was actually families passing it down the tradition. Like for instance, you seeing your mom doing it and then having that genetic memory of those um, aesthetic, you know, images in your head floating around in your imagination and then they come surface. Well, yeah, they come right out of my head. I don't have to think. I can sit down and Same. decorate any surface with Pennsylvania that stuff, top to bottom. I know. It's incredible. I always say, and, and I'm sure you can identify with this, it's like the ancestors are doing a dance with oh. me. I mean, it's just, it's just an incredible feeling. And I never had that until I met my husband and he and I, he taught me how to make a hex sign. And I was like, whoa, this is nothing <laughs> like I've ever experienced before. I mean, it was really this wild, incredible experience because I'd never had a connectedness to my art like that. So it's really, really exciting and incredible stuff. And I think if I were in your part of the world, I'd be doing it. I might be doing it full time. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no market. Nobody even knows what I'm talking about here. It's so hard, but the internet helps. But I mean, oh, it does. Yeah, I put yeah. stuff up itself. It's it's tricky. And I noticed um, that you were selling right out of your shop. And I thought, that's really smart, Jeff, because the internet sales and the shipping and so many packages got lost this year. It's not. It's not for the pain of art, let me tell you. Well, my, my first launch of the print shop, and for people listening, I, I do letterpress printing too. And yeah. I've done it for years. And I took about 10 years off and I restarted that over COVID. Yeah. And my first launch was an Etsy shop. And yeah, it failed because the mail didn't get through. Yeah. And I just gave up. I just, I just threw up my hands and gave up. But we're back at it again. Yeah, that's awesome. That's very cool. Um, there's a family here, um, actually in an old schoolhouse that my great, great grandfather taught in, in Oli. Um, they're the Vargins and they're incredible. Um, they do incredible. Uh, they do, used to do leno cuts. Now they're transferring to all metal. I don't know exactly what they're using, but you should check them out. They are very, very cool. I think it's Pennsylvania Dutch papers or something like that. And they also do uh, star weaving. It's very, very cool. Also oh, do nice. a bunch of stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and and there's an archive at our sinus college in front of the listeners too, um, of all the old folk life magazines and they're all scanned in and it's just an incredible resource. Oh, and where's that? Um, your our sinus college. Okay. There's a whole archive of, uh, it's called Pennsylvania folk life. And I'm sure you've heard of Don Yoder. He yep. was one of the founding members. And then it was all during that mid-century really great peak, um, and there were so many contributors. And my favorite part is they had a lot of female contributors, which made me really happy to see um, during that time. And like, he was a really special guy and um, one of the founders of the Folk Fest, of course, but that is an incredible resource. Um, and you'd probably really enjoy that. I don't know, I'm sure somewhere online they have all the Folk Fest, the old catalogs, cause that has a lot of really cool stuff in it. Oh, too. I bet, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, um, the Vargins are a family that have been doing it for very, very many years. And um, their aunt, Dorothy, her work was really, really cool. I think you'd like that because um, it was like leno cuts and they're just so beautiful. So lots of good stuff. Good. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm looking now at, at um, 
CNC and lasers to make type for the for the really? press. And that would open the door to all kinds of Pennsylvania Dutch stuff. Because yes. right now I'm limited by what's available in metal or what I can carve in lino. Um, and to have my entire vocabulary where I can just scan it and make type just is a very exciting wow. prospect. Yeah, technology serves us in a lot of ways, even though, you know, you know, there's a thin line, but my MFA advisor said she really wanted the, the graphic design work to have that hand on touch. So we did linos and then scanned them and it was really, really fun. That's yeah, and that would still be my handwork. It would just have to go exactly. through a computer to get, before I could by hand put it on paper. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Oh, cool. I'm gonna send you this link. Um, so for people looking, um, there's Sinus College and it's Pennsylvania Dutch Folklife Magazine. It's an incredible resource. Um, so Jeff, let's talk about 50 Little Birds. Sure. How did that come about? It's just, oh, it made me so happy to see. I mean, it was just really like, just so beautiful. And I just wanted to crawl inside the computer and <laughs> be out there on the phone and know where we It is, I mean, I, I've seen that movie, I don't know, probably 20 times. Sure. <laughs> or more, I don't know. And I still get goosebumps because it is so beautiful. And I can't believe yeah. it's me in those images. Um, so... I guess to go to the very beginning is what you see is not what we worked on or what we planned at all, which oh. is true of really good creative, of many creative projects. Yeah. So um, Hannah Lingren, the, the director, the producer, what does she call herself? I don't know. The director. She <laughs> calls herself the director. Tell 23 of the producer, the company that produced it. Um, I'm looking at my poster on the wall. A film by Tw Tw Tilt 23 Studios, 50 Little Birds. Hannah Lingren's the director. There we go. Um, I've known Hannah for a very long time. I've known her mother forever. Her mother is the tourism director in our county. Oh, wow. And I've done tons of projects with her, and I knew her before that. I remember going to her on Friday um, gatherings after. She worked at a local living history museum 30 years ago, and I would gather with some of the employees on Friday afternoons for a beer, and she would be there. Um, and... I've gone, Hannah's been involved with the maker community in Noblesville in our little town. And we don't have a real strong maker community, but she's been part of that. And she approached me several years ago and said, I really like your art. I like who you are. I like where you're coming from. Let's do a movie about your art. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be great. And she was about to move to Alabama or already did. And she said, well, I've got to come up from Alabama to do this. And I will, I, um, Let's plan on me showing. I'll come up for a weekend sometime and we'll talk about this and we'll figure out what we're going to do. And then I didn't hear from her. And then I learned that she had a really bad relationship problem down there. Aww. And yeah, it was, it was a terrible situation. And I have nothing but, but empathy and sympathy for her. Um, her life really hit some walls. And then she came home and rebuilt and um, quickly. She's an incredibly talented, strong person. And um, she was hired by Tilt 23, which had a different name than the story. I don't know what it's called. doesn't matter. There's Tilt 23. And they want to support the creative endeavors of their artists. So when you're hired there, you're encouraged to take on projects and they will fund them. Now, I don't know if they had any idea how big a project she was going to come up with. Um, but they underwrote it and they supplied cameramen and equipment and everything we needed. So that's that's why we have that protect that big professional flair is because we had incredibly talented um, camera people and cinematographers and sound people and um, she had nothing but the best and she had um, the backing incredible. to do that. Yeah, it was. So she came to my studio 
which is in the basement of an old apartment building, a nice apartment building, but it's 100 years old. And I'm in a really, the basement's not nice, but it's mine. <laughs> yes. And um, she came down here and interviewed me, and we probably spent three or four hours with interviews. And then she came in with a crew, and my, being in a, I don't have the whole basement, so I have a wall around my shop with windows, because I always wanted windows out of the street of my shop. So I put windows out to an empty room. Um, but they lit them from the outside so they look like sunlight. Wow. And turned all lights off in my shop. So my whole shop was swept with this wonderful low-angle sunlight. You saw it. It's gorgeous. Yes, yes. Um, it's almost dark in my shop, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they shot me working and talking and with, my, with Moxie, my dachshund, and shot pictures of my my life that they posed to different places and lots of shot my work. And, um, and I guess I should backtrack through our discuss our interview. We discovered that we both have similar mental health difficulties, anxieties, mm -hmm. problems, focuses. And I had just started therapy. So I was really gung ho and still am that people need to seek out therapy. People need to find mm -hmm. help. And nobody should go through this crap alone. I taught mm -hmm. for, 33 years thinking it was all on my shoulders would never, it never ever should have been at all. And no yeah. principle should have put it there. I would go that far to say. Um, so the, in that discussion, the movie changed from being about my art to being about my art and my canoeing. I guess I should touch on that too. But my art and my canoeing being the outlets that kept me sane for those 30 some years. Now I don't claim I stayed sane. My family wouldn't either. Um, but we're all still together. We worked through it. So the other part of that is my canoeing. I, um, in 2014, I um, got the same grant I did for the ukuleles, and I bought an antique 1956 Old Town canoe, and I paddled 450 miles from Old Town, New York, to Rangeley, Maine, alone, absolutely alone. It was just me. And it was the most horrific, horrible, wonderful thing I've ever done. I've never been so lonely in my life. I've never had to rely on myself so much in my life. I've never been so desperate in my life. But if somebody gave me the opportunity to do it tomorrow, I'd do it again because it was such an amazing, powerful experience. And that's why I did it. You put yourself out there yeah. to grow and learn. And, and I did. And I couldn't, I couldn't put a lot of it to, into, into practice till I retired and became a, an artist again. And I, should, I knew the word retired. Hannah told me that when we were making the movie. Like, you're not retired. You left teaching to become an artist. The way that makes you retired is you have access to all these funds and they let you touch for 50 years. For 30 years yeah. like, oh, you're right. so i'm not retired i work more hours than i've ever worked in my life and i work seven days a week um so anyway um the movie is about how i use my time in the wilderness and canoeing specifically um and my artwork as a way to stay sane in um and to grow and you know the other things my mother um God bless her, is an alcoholic and a narcissist. And um, when I, it wasn't until I was in my 50s, I could look back and see how her narcissism, her ego, um, had so much to do with my life that it shouldn't have. I mean, I taught mm -hmm. all that time because she thought I should teach all that time. I mean, it's mm -hmm. that one. You're a good mm -hmm. teacher. You should be teaching. If you mm -hmm. stop teaching, how are you going to make a living? That's not possible. <laughs> but I heard that. You're the laziest white man on earth. Yes, I heard that. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, making the movie, going through therapy, all that has been very cathartic. And I, and, and I think it's really important that we talk these things out because we, I don't care who you are, how happy you are, how well adjusted you are, 
this crap is in your path. Whether I guess I go down the list of all the things it could be. It could be anything. There are so many negatives in our lives that do leave scars, deep scars. And, and I thought I was well-adjusted all those years. And it's amazing when you start looking at those scars and addressing them, how they can start to peel away and fall away. And uh, I mean, it sounds terrible, but I've not talked to my mother in three years. And it's the best thing that's ever happened. Yeah, I take yeah, care of her. Yeah. My sister mm-hmm. and I take care of her, but I can't, that negative energy, um, just, it, it, I can't do it. Yeah. And if you can't do it, you walk away, right? Yeah, sure. And embrace the positive things in your life. I'm sure somebody listening will disagree, but that's where I am. And it's a journey, too. So, anyway, that's how the movie came to be. Well, it was incredible. And how long was it? It was, I actually pulled it up. It was PBS, and I'll, I'll share the link for our listeners. Um, it was a nine minute and eight yes. second film. And it was so incredible and so full of emotion and just really, really well done. Like, hand, hats off to Hannah it, it was incredible and yourself and the whole the whole crew that worked on it it was just such a beautiful film and I'm really touching very moving one of the things that makes it seem like more than a nine minute film is that what you're watching and what you're hearing are two different storylines true so, yeah so you're getting I don't know a 10 15 18 minute film out of those nine minutes because what you're visually seeing is a different story than what you're hearing but they were very true but, yes and the other and this is, my, this is my ego speaking, but I love beautiful canoe photography. And to see me in that beautiful spot with my canoe laying over on its edge and me standing on the rail with my dog leaning out, that's, that's amazing stuff. Yeah, that's very cool. Now, that day on the river, and it's a long story, I won't go into all the detail, but we ended up being out there till almost midnight. We got stuck on the river, no way off, couldn't get in touch with our support crew, but um, obviously we made it. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's wild. We could have spent the night out there. We would have been fine. But, sure. But, yeah, of um, course. <laughs> but that whole, that whole crew didn't feel that way. I was fine. I had all my gear. <laughs> <laughs> and I see a covered bridge in one of the scenes. Is that yes? Yes. yes. Oh, and, I mean, even the, you know, there's a little um, image here that with the 50 little birds and even the lettering, it's just beautifully done. Really, I insisted that we, we shoot at that covered bridge and those, those cliffs. That's and beautiful. They, they pushed back and like, nope, that's where we're doing. Yeah, good for you. That's beautiful. Do you guys call it a kissing bridge out there? That's what we call no, it. No, we don't. Yeah, you have to smooch under the bridge. When you my gra- the farm my grandfather grew up on is Rosa Morata and it's on um, Octorora Creek in Chester County. And it had its, um, Rosa Morata was the bridge, and it had the bridge up into the mid-70s, and then it burned. But I remember visiting it, and I have a picture of it in my, in my shop at home. Nice. That's so cool. Yeah. Very nice. So, so you have Phoebe, and then you have other children, too? I have um, two. Phoebe's my youngest, and she's the designer, and she's in Columbus, Ohio. And she works for Ohio State. It's a new job, and she's loving it. Um, she nice. works for the, um, agriculture, and I'm going to get it wrong. Food Sciences and Agriculture Department. She was a 10-year 4 h so it's a really nice fit. And then my oldest daughter is a folklorist, which I absolutely love. So my daughters became everything I wanted to be, an artist and a folklorist, right? Yeah. So she was a folklorist for the state of New York for um, two or three years and lived in Ithaca. And now she's in Rochester, and she's teaching at RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology. Wow, so I'm really, for her, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm really proud of proud of both my girls. And I have two stepchildren that are well, much older than they are and off doing other things. 
Oh, that's so cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and you did some collaborations with Phoebe recently, and I just adored. They were so lovely. Oh, thank you. I'm really like, pleased yeah. with that. <laughs> so Phoebe really, and I, really cool. when I opened the print shop, it was going to be a partnership partnership between Phoebe and I. Nice. And um, so we had a lot of meetings in February and then started selling things up in March. And, and then with COVID, all that kind of fell apart because I wasn't selling. And our biggest collaboration is we wanted to do um, weddings where people come and actually print their invitations. Wow. So she designed them and then she'd come out and host them. And we collaborate with a restaurant next door and I'd help them print. And I just think that would be a really great experience. We could do that for That's super cool. anything. So we we're going to do that. And then we can't have people here. So that didn't happen. And then yeah. she, she was doing a lot of contract work. She worked for justice children's clothing and then she worked for a restaurant oh. and, um, she didn't get health care. She, she wasn't employed. So it was a really bad, ugly situation. Mm -hmm. So she was, she had more, more than she could deal with too. So now being really employed by somebody is, is, is a huge help. So she's begun collaborating like we planned to in the beginning. So she did um, a Christmas card. I think it's four colors. I don't know. It was very challenging. They were beautiful though. I mean, then, really gorgeous work. And a set of coasters and gift tags. And I expect more out of her. We're doing, I'm doing a whole line of grocery lists, which sounds silly, but um, I think they're just, they're just flips of paper with a motif on top and she's going to design some of those. And I love stuff like that so spot much. Illustration. Well, I love, really well, I love that. Well, I love that It's right here. Oh, <laughs> you know, I just awesome. cutting these slips of paper, putting antique cuts at the top, but I'm worried that um, people aren't going to, oh, not everybody wants antique and vintage cuts. So I want her to do things that are more contemporary. Not yeah. a done on me. I'm perfectly able to draw spider illustrations too. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, I draw. <laughs> so, it's really nice though to have that um, with a child or a parent that connection. You know, it's really neat to see that, and um, we're trying to facilitate that as well. And even just being around it. I mean, I, I know I talked to uh, Dr. Werner about this. About you know, he didn't really feel like his kids had really picked up on the Pennsylvania Dutch traditions. But I said you'd be surprised. Wait for like ten or fifteen years. And they'll be like reenacting all these things that they, it's just like infused in your, in your yes. life together, you know? And that's really neat. I love that. Well, I had no idea Hannah wanted to be a folklorist when she declared she was going to IU and study folklore. I was, that's so cool. And her, and her mentor was a good friend of mine. So it was, and I, I had no idea. And wow. we, they grew up in an old house, mm -hmm. an old house that I'm still restoring and still isn't a house that you'd think was, I mean, it's livable, of course it is, but yeah. it's not done. It's nowhere near, my kids never lived in a house where there was a door in every frame or the heat worked or, you know, and they both gravitate to old houses. So. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. So those, those things are, they're all there. That's interesting about the houses because I just was saying to Hunter recently, um, the house I grew up in was a very old house. Um, and I felt like it connected to it in like, it was part of our family. You know, I felt like it had a soul and I was very connected to, I'm very connected to place all the time. Um, oh, place is everything. That's why Maine oh, and Dutch is everything. Totally. I can't um, all my work. Yeah. And it, it's so funny because then, you know, I lived in a bunch of other places since then, but then I, our home that we live in now, it's not the, you know, it's not the shiniest <laughs> diamond place, but it, it means so much to me and I'm so connected to it in that kind of way. It's like a spirit creature. <laughs> when you're raising your kids there, isn't that awesome? I mean, that, that puts roots everywhere. For sure. Yeah. You yeah. have to find, you know, it's really interesting. I've been, I've been listening to a lot of Sharon Blackie's work. Um, 
which maybe you heard me talk about. I don't know if it's seeped into the podcast yet, but it's all about place and it's, and it's this longing for a place, but it doesn't have to be like the place you're from, but you make place where you are, you know, and the things that you take from like your trip to Pennsylvania and those connections and the things, it's not just going there and experiencing that it's taking it back with you and having it, you know, surround you in your place where you are, you know, and that's the really important key is to follow that through not just to take it and experience it. And then it's like that place that's far away, but it, no, it actually comes and becomes part of you and becomes part of your daily life. I think that's so important. It's like living, breathing folk life, you know? Aren't we lucky as artists that we can do that in a, in a visual way? Because I don't know how people that aren't visual can take things. The things I take, I bring back from a trip or a vacation or, or visiting important places turns into visual work. That I, they're things yeah. I have. Even if it never makes it to paper, it's in here visually. And I, I don't know how other people can bring things back that are meaningful. And I'm sure they can. I'm not that's a really good point though we have I mean, a superpower we, but it's it's i mean we do though <laughs> <laughs> because i always say it's like a visual mantra like a hex sign for example like you have to people always want to say you know what does this mean what does this hex sign mean and i say to them you know there's what it means to me because i created it but then you have to tell yourself what it means to you and that's what you need to focus on and it's like that with place too um you know, I'm like a real collector of like little knickknacks and like having altars everywhere. And it's the strangest things that you'll find like an affinity for. So I think people collect things probably. And also now with digital, digital photography, I mean, I was a photo major in 99. Okay. Right, so this was right. right in the beginning of it. And it was like, before you had to like have a camera to be a photographer, you know, um, now it's like so accessible and you can document place and, and experiences so easily, which is very, very cool. That's true. We were on a vacation. the ego so much for most people. Well, that's true. But we were on a vacation a year ago, and we were trying to remember the timeline. Where do we go to our photos? Yeah, for oh. sure. Yeah. You know what's really trippy too is um the Facebook memories because now I've been oh. on like ten years or so, and I'm like, wow, I forgot. I totally forgot about that. Because one thing, I don't know if this happens to you, because I think we're a lot similar. We're very similar uh, creatively. I forget a lot of stuff because I'm so flooded with new things and like, right. things are happening so much in here. So I'll forget about certain memories. And even my kids will be like, remember when we did this? And I'm like, no, I'm really sorry. Remember when you met Jeff and Kutztown? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was melting. I'm so glad we met though because the last two years that we had it, I said to my husband, I was like, you know, we have a very challenging child. We have a very an incredibly creative spirit, but very challenging child. And I said, you know what, listen, we used to trade him off and one of us would be working and one of us would be home with him. I'm like, I'll just take him. <laughs> like, I can't do this anymore. The public is very difficult. It's hard. It's not one of those events where everybody that's coming there is like respectful or like knowledgeable or like um, appreciative. You hear, I mean, it is like being on display, you know, it's oh, like a I can imagine. Oh, yeah. 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 It's like kitsch capital USA, but I'm glad it's around. So you and have fine crass people with the general yeah. public and yeah. Yeah. And people that are coming that don't know anything about it, which is right. cool, but I mean, maybe they have like, you know, I don't know. You get all kinds. Let me tell you. But you know, now it's a long show. You're out there for what ten days or nine something. Nine days. Nine days. It's like it's like torture. But uh, listen, yeah. we didn't have it this year, and I missed it a lot. So I know oh, I'm new, sure. I have a newfound appreciation. You guys should make some cards with some curses on it. I'd love that. There you go. <laughs> what would your grandmother think of me? <laughs> That's a good Who question. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> 
they were cursed and they were cursed in Pennsylvania. So we didn't know. <laughs> My grandmother had her, she had her faults. <laughs> <laughs> My grandmother would always say, God <laughs> hemel muck and all. <laughs> Gotten Hemel Muck and all. And I said to my Pennsylvania Dutch teacher who I interviewed, Keith Brinsenhoff. I don't know if you caught that one. There's a lot of of podcasts. Um, I said to him in class, I was like, what's this mean? And he's like, gosh, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's God in heaven. And then I think it was actually Nakamal, and that just means nonsense, like dumbass. I think it's kind of like that. That's funny. Yeah, it's so funny the thing. I do love that you throw the Pennsylvania Dutch in because I always look it up and I I want to make sure I understand oh, it. And I, oh, I do learn. Sure. I learn from you. Yes. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Well, listen, what I started to do, and this is so much fun, is just a couple little words here and there. Like all my kids know how to say like good or dog and stuff like that. And yep. um, and and my friend Doug always says, you know, put some cards up in the house. He, but he's a German language teacher. So it's like really, it's just his nature to know how to like teach language. But yeah, it's fun to infuse it because it's like a, it's a topsy-turvy language, which was always mixed up with the English anyway. So right, right. it all works out in the end, right? <laughs> well, it's not like we're going to speak it nonstop. No, no, indeed. We will not. No, no, no. It is fun to listen to, though. Well, I was listening to a podcast of Sharon Blackie today, actually, and thought of you because I was trying to think of um, things that I wanted to talk about. And um, I think I talked about... Um, there's a longing for some ancestral culture, but the trick is to take it back home with them. Yeah, which is what we kind of talked about. Um, Yeah, the trick is to apply it to their place. So I really love that idea because it's like keeping that alive and just the folk tradition. So I guess before we wrap up, Jeff, um, I'd just like to hear more about, um, you know, what projects you have going on and what you think um, your 2021 is gonna offer us. I'm gonna go back a little bit too, because. Because food, food is in my culture. I mean, I've got Pennsylvania food going, so. Yes. um, But I can't get it all. Like, you can't get real dry beef here. Right, right, sure. (laughs) And um, and other things. But I eat a lot of fried noodles and a lot of Coke's corn. And I know where to get sweet bologna here, which is no easy task. And I don't know why they have it. Who would buy it? Um, But... (laughs) I have um, in filling potatoes. My family all knows these foods, and they all know where they come from. Um, my great grandmother's macaroni and cheese is clearly um, predates macaroni and cheese. What am I trying to say? Um, <laughs> I'm getting tired. Um, no, I hear you. My brain is like shut off right now. Yeah. <laughs> Do you mean macaroni salad? Like no, well, we have that too. Um, I, I can't think. It's okay. You're out, of me out. You're out of my stupidity out, right? It'll come to you at 3 a.m. today. Of course it will. Text, text you and yeah. it won't matter. Add it in. This is so basic, it doesn't matter. Um, but anyway, I do want to say that the foodways are very alive and important in my yes. family. Yes. And, and if, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, if you're a reader, William Moyes Weaver does amazing works. And I'll send that to you too. He was actually um, a good friend of Don Yoder and is still with us and does a lot about food waste and the way they connect to our culture. His books are really, really cool. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, and Hannah's, sure. my, my daughter, my folklorist daughter, her expertise is in food waste. So she, she lectures on, cool. on food traditions in New York now, dump plates and wow. things like that. All of it, yeah. 
Well, then she'd probably be familiar with the uh, Scrapple book is my predecessor. That's the publisher that's working with me for my book because they had such a wildly successful Scrapple book. So that's really? my publisher. Yeah. So that's another thing we can't get here. Scrapple. Sure. I could, I could get frozen Scrapple years ago, but I can't find anything now. You got to make it yourself, I guess. I, I might. I might. <laughs> I'm, I'm, when I married my wife, I told her about this wonderful, this wonderful sausage in, in it's not really sausage, but you know, eat this and you'll like it. And and her kids ate it, you know, when they were teenagers. And then I told them what it was and what was in it, and I they've not eaten it since. No, I've never eaten it in my whole life. Can you believe it? I'm like what? the worst. Pun- I'm the worst sighter ever. I'm a vegan now, and my oh, well, there you go. What is going on? Like, what are you doing to us? And I hate sauerkraut, so. Oh God, I, I can't even be German. I can't be German. Oh no, there's no way. It's just not happening. <laughs> I can prove I am, but <laughs> okay. So all we all we eat is kale, so it doesn't really matter. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Much healthier than I am. We're like aliens. No. So, Mike, my, my, for the next year, yeah. So what you were saying? Looking forward, um, I'm going to push this print shop because I can sell cards. <laughs> yes. I had a um, wonderful December. I built this print shop as a teaching teaching studio, like everything I build. And um, I've, I have a small bubble of friends that have come in and, and we have a, um, the print club, which is four guys. And we come in, meet once a month, though I think I'm done with that till things get better because things are really bad in Indiana right now. Yeah. Um, but they come in or anyway, this was going to be a teaching studio and it's set up that way. But because of COVID, I haven't been able to teach. I've become a much better printer. I would like to thank COVID because I play the bass now, which I always wanted to do. I understand Adobe Illustrator at a much better level than I ever did. And <laughs> I've become a much better printer uh, because I, all I can do is practice, right? And my house yes. is getting restored. So all I can do is practice and wait. So that's making me much better at these things that I, I was good at. Now I think I'm in many ways much, much, much better. So, in December or late November, I'd started printing Christmas cards. And my goal was not to sell anything this December, but I, I'm horrible at seasonal artwork. I'm terrible because I only want to do it during that season. Yes. I am not going to sit down in July and print Christmas cards. I'm glad to I see know, you agree. Yuck. I, I don't I like no, no, going no. into a craft no store. No, no, no. And I'm having, I thought I'd be printing cards this week. And I, no, I can't do it. I know. <laughs> so I built up, I was building up a lot of stock of Christmas cards. But then I thought I'd throw them online and see what happens. And I had the best month I've had in a year. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And I, and I, when I sell carvings, they, uh, bird carving starts at $120. The really nice carvings are five, six, seven, eight hundred, a thousand dollars. And I enjoyed doing that. And I got this mindset where if I'm not doing something that's worth $400, it's not worth my time. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly I'm doing really well selling $6 cards. So, yeah. and I have a friend that said, you know, you can make a million dollars, one dollar at a time. A million, one dollar yeah. sales still makes you a millionaire. Um, yeah. And there is something to that. I, yeah. I, this isn't my best month ever. I mean, when I say the best of the year, this is the COVID year where I had no shows. And I know. It shut down most of my sales. Um, but I've been living on savings, and this month I didn't. I paid my rent out of what I made in the shop and had a little left over. 
and can think forward. So that so there'll be a lot of printing. So, but uh, there are a lot of letterpress printers now. A lot of kids that have no experience doing really well because they're clever. Um, so I need to get clever, and that's one reason I, I love having Phoebe is because she's going to have that youth clever look. Um, she's almost thirty, but that's still youthful. Um, yeah, and she's a designer, so she's well, in tune with that. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. 58 is youthful. I was here to tell you. That printing, this printing press over there, I pump it with my feet. Yes, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so I'm going to, so that's, I'm looking to develop lots and lots of product through the year I, um, and some really fresh and new stuff. And I'm going to try to in, involve some technology too because I really like wood type. I have presses that are begging for large wood type that I can't afford it. A, a, Font of wood type can cost three, four, five hundred dollars, and sure. I, I don't want to spend that kind of money. The presses are expensive enough, yeah. um, so I'm looking into CNC and and laser to reproduce that stuff. Nice. The, the large wood print, the wood type, but I'm also then just thinking anything that I draw and scan, and we saw this earlier. I can I can burn on a CNC on a laser and print. I mean, I, I that's probably an exaggeration, but it opens a lot of doors. Yeah. Right now, I have to send things to um, my artwork goes to a print to a public. Again, I can't think. Boxcar Press in Syracuse, New York, and they turn into a plastic type that I can print with, and it oh, does. Wow. And it's inexpensive, but it'd be nice to do more of that in house. Yeah, and that'd be so cool. Expensive, but I'm going to do entire fonts of type. That would be really expensive through them. Yeah. So into CNC and laser stuff, whether it'll happen or not, I don't know. Um, I hope I can start classes in the spring. I've got a million ideas for classes. I know there are people that really want to do letterpress and get in here and, and make really cool stuff. And I've got, all, I've got it all set up, ready to go. So we'll open the door when we can. Um, I'm not going to, I may not pursue shows anymore, which. Yeah. I really like going east, and I really like selling carvings, and I really talk, like talking to the high-end buyers and customers and the other high-end artists and associating with them, and I like, I like all that, but I'm not sure I'm going to do that. I'm going to continue to be part of the um, Early American Life directory because I think it's important to keep that status, but, and that's what gets me in those shows, but I don't, I don't know if I'm going to do those shows. Yeah. So, I mean, my studio is three blocks from home. Why? <laughs> If I can here, why would I go playing a trailer to, to Connecticut to be there for three days? You know, things like that's hard. Yeah, like, it's a rough life. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're kind of in that same place too. We did really well online this year, you know. Good. Um, and we just decided we're gonna stick to like the Reading Guild show and the Folk Fest, basically. And then we have a cute little show here in Boyertown called the Belschnickel, which is oh, really that's fun. nice. Yeah, it's well, really I, I will do lo small local stuff for sure. Oh, uh, the other thing, I'm I'm gonna do our farmers market. Yeah, which I cool. didn't want to do because I wanted to teach on Saturday mornings. But if I can have a, if I can have sales every Saturday mornings, that's, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I just need to be, sure. I'm going to take a demonstration press out. Um, the guys in the print club have volunteered to come you know, show kids how to print. So, you know, they can pull a lever for $3 and take home something. And That's so cool. Yeah. I remember doing silk screening like that at a craft event that I went to and it was really fun and super fun and cool. But like silk screening, like that's kind of tough to do on the road, but it was really fun. That's great. Um, so Jeff, where can people find you? I guess G? 
gbdavisfolkart.com, right? Yeah, that's the website. Now the website's kind of down right now oh. because I'm changing the I'm changing my focus. So I took all the work off. So probably keep it. People Oops. should keep it because it's going to come back. <laughs> um, there's also going to be another website that I'm working on, twopaddlepress.com. So it's okay. T-W-O, paddle press. That's a kind of like, it's, it comes from my tattoo, my two-paddle tattoo. Um, okay. And the tattoo came first, but that's going to be the print shop. But I have stuff on both. Um, and it will show up on Etsy, both of those. <laughs> they both exist, but they'll show up and actually have something. Um, so I'm kind of taking the, as you know, doing art, there are no sales between, very few sales between now and April. Yes. So I'm using that time to rebuild the website, get Phoebe more involved, and develop my product line. Um, there, will, there will be more carvings. I don't know if I'm going to do a lot that aren't commissions. Ironically, last coincidentally, it's probably a better word. Last week, I had a, a friend, and it's, it used to bother me. It's always friends that want my work, but I realized a lot of them became friends because of my work. Um, who wanted a Moby Dick? And I, I do carve whales. That's part of the main tradition. And he wanted a Moby Dick. So I went to his house and talked to him about it. And we sealed the deal. He's going to do a, a great, it's a 28-inch long white whale. It's going to be really fun to do. The very wow. next day, I got a query for another Moby Dick. Wow. From another friend. So I know that's going to happen too. So that's I'm carving so whales. Cool. I'm carving that's whales. Really yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, I, you know, my friends, my friends got me through this, honestly. They've become my collectors. Yeah, Which came I, first, the collector or the friend? I don't know, but I love them so dearly. Yeah, when a friend buys something, that's 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 them supporting your business. That's great. Yeah, for sure. And I got a Christmas. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're not pretending, are we? No. I got a Christmas card today from Colorado from a, a really good friend that moved out there. He was my apprentice. And his mom sent me a Christmas card. It was my card. It came back to my shop. I thought that, that was so, so wonderful. So cool. I love that. Get a card that I printed. Full circle. So I just one other thing about my carvings, because I do want to, I haven't talked about that much, but the one thing that sets my carvings apart and my Pennsylvania Dutch painting, decorative painting, like the game board, um, is that and this is a, this, well, I really like a really authentic crackle finish, a finish that looks yeah. old, where you can see the other yeah. color underneath. And you see that there are two or three times people have messed with surfaces and it's been done tastefully. And I um, found a decoy carver that was doing that in Montreal. His name's Yves Laurent. And I sought him out several years ago. And this is something, uh, more advice to young artists. Even if you're introverted and shy as hell, go meet these artists. Knock on their doors, email them. They want to tell you. They want, most of them want to teach you. And if they don't, they'll say they don't and you're done. So yeah. I went to meet Yves Laurent in Montreal on the way home from Maine one year, and he took me to a shop. I never asked him for anything, and he sat down and showed me how he gets his surfaces. And he sworn me to secrecy, but since I've met Eve, and I've been back to his house, um, since I met Eve, I've got these surfaces that are just incredibly complex and beautiful with little chips and color underneath and, oh. and stains and... Um, I love I, that. They're really, uh, yeah, I'm really, really proud of the finish that I can put on things. And, and that's, I think that's what my true collectors come for. And then another thing is I do teach at Sabbath Day Lake in Maine. Um, the, the only Shaker community that still has Shakers. Um, there are three Shakers living at Sabbath Day Lake. And I do teach there in October, and I expect that to continue. Oh, that's so cool. 
So where are my plugs? You're a busy guy. <laughs> I work harder than I ever did teaching. But there's no anxiety. How much? I, I, honestly, honestly, Mom. I said to my husband. Yeah, I know. I said, how much happier, right? Yeah, it's like I had to uh, medicate to go into my job. It was I, not. It was not okay. I should have. Should have. Yeah. Didn't. Yeah. I guess I shouldn't have. But I, I could have. I, I was a mess. I was yeah blathering blithering idiot and yeah. running chasing my tail and i still do that i just wrote to somebody today somebody said the word for the year is hustle I'm like don't hustle slow down be intentional yes i've been told to hustle all my life and it's never paid off ever no there's no, no. no advantage to hustling slow down and be intentional you'll be so much more productive so much more efficient and you'll know what the hell you're doing i mean there's no anxiety yeah. and no stress with it and so, healthier Yes, yes. My family's what? all teachers, and how many heart conditions do we have that are not hereditary? Yeah, oh, that's it's terrible. scary. And it's I believe it. Yeah. I still have anxiety attacks, but yeah. since they're completely out of context, I can sit down yeah. and say, there's no reason for them. None. Yeah. I know. I, wow. I, and you can, I can work through those, but when you've got, you know, teaching, and I say this in the movie a lot, you're not even allowed in your own head. That's no, eight hours a day. No, no, that's true. And you, no sell your, you sell your emotions in your brain for six to eight hours a day. They're gone. Yeah. You're not allowed to have them. Right. And if you're a good teacher, you take it home. So it's more like 12 hours a day or yeah. 24. It's very true. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, indeed. There's so many layers. And um, just a big shout out to all the amazing teacher warriors. <laughs> oh, amen. Hey, this time, this is, how do they do it? Oh, Lord. I don't I, know because I tell I them every day. I would have walked. I couldn't have done it. No way. I don't know how they do it, but amen, indeed. Did all you parents that are worried about your kids needing to catch up, let it go. Not me, baby. I'm not Good. worried. Your I'm kids worried. are going to learn. Yeah. And if you've developed a culture in your family where kids learn, they're going to learn. And right now they're learning what they want to instead of what they have to. Yeah. And that's going to that's gonna be so good for them. Yeah, I thought to myself, you know, I must be doing something right. And finally, the education degree is serving me because all of my kids want to stay home next year, whether or not the school is able to open. So I'm like, must be doing something good. I mean, want to be around us. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I love having them around, actually. That's been my COVID gift, um, just the extra time with my kids, because I've always been drawn to homeschooling, but I've always been terrified to do it. So we did it's it kind of nice. For three years, and it was one absolutely wonderful. And when I went to public yeah. school, they were so far ahead. That's still awesome. are still are yeah that's really good to hear that's really awesome and we um, unschooled we didn't have lessons no we, just I love them with, we involved them with our lives and taught them things in context everything was in context and sometimes we had to stretch our lives to get things in but sure, sure. we didn't sit down with a curriculum and say oh, i love unschooling yes yes Oh, Jeff, it's been so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much. I feel like you're an old friend and we've only met once. We are. It's an ancestral, what are we going to call it? The ancestral um, memory. Let's so what, ancestral what are your memory. ancestral names? So I can look at my genealogy. So I am, have you um, ever heard of the Fishers of Oli? No. Fishers? The Fisher Farms, the Fishers. The Fishers. Oh, okay. Um, it's a really great Georgian style like mansion thing on 662. Um, so I'm my my maternal grandmother's a Fisher, and then she's also a Nab, and then my dad's side is Herring, and um, so I'm half Pennsylvania Dutch on both sides. Both my parents are half, 
Okay. And then half Welsh on both sides too. I'm Welsh on my father's English. side. And that's my new exploratory place. I need to learn everything I can. I love the Welsh so much. The total dead end of my family, but the Davis was Davies and it was Welsh. Yeah, it's just. I'm a Davies. Oh, there we Are go. You? We're probably Welsh. There we go. Mom's maiden name Davies, so we're just totally related. Yeah, we were and Davies. Jones. Oh yeah, yeah. every Welsh. Of course, Jones. of course. Yeah, like come on. <laughs> then, yeah, Davies. Being yeah. a Chester County Quaker, I'm a, I'm related to everybody in Chester County. I mean, oh God, I love the Quakers. Because that Quaker community is just like that and always oh, has been. So cool. Actually, um, when I was in undergrad, I did um, my internship or whatever in education, they call it, at a friend's meeting house. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. It's in Philly. What the heck is it called? Maybe you haven't. Friends school or something. Just <laughs> called friends school. It was such a great experience for me. Is it I love the worship. No, I think it's called okay. friends friend select or something i don't freaking I don't know. know but it was really fancy i claim fancy. to be a, i'm a i'm a quaker i claim to be a That's quaker cool. but i'm not terribly that. practicing but i really like the whole inner light thing yeah. i love that it transcends christianity and can yes Woo. yes i um i don't claim to be a christian but i claim yeah. to be quaker which bothers indiana quakers because they're all evangelical quakers so oh, I, lordy so i don't go to meeting here they don't know what sound. There's only one silent meeting in my. Never mind. Um, oh my glory! That's not true. There are two. If anybody listens to this, I don't want to be called out on that. There are two <laughs> silent meetings, but they're not convenient. Most Quakers meet in a church service that looks like the Presbyterian services I grew up in. You know? Yeah. No. 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 I love silent meeting. It's fantastic. Oh, it's very cool. And actually, I grew up in a place called Bristol, Pennsylvania. Uh -huh. in, in Lower Box, and it was the first Quaker meeting house in America, 1682, oh, wow. was settled. It's very cool, because it was right near Pensbury Manor, which is where William right. Penn lived. I lived like five minutes from there, so it's very, very neat. Then I, I have maps of Philadelphia showing where my father's ancestors came and my mother's, and they all live within blocks of each other in That's Philadelphia so cool. in yes. 1683. They came with Penn on the welcome. That's really cool. In fact, um, Dennis Kunders, do you know that name? Or Thomas Kunders, it's bonus, I think it's T-H-E-N, I don't know. It translates as Dennis or Thomas, depending on where you're reading. And he um, was a Germantown Quaker, oh. um, German Quaker. Mm -hmm. And that, his house is where they had the first anti-slavery, they signed the first anti-slavery document. Yeah, we were just talking about that. My friend Rob Schreier um, wants to redo like the, um, there was some kind of event that happened in Germantown where they had like, Maybe it was related to the document, um, and it's a really big deal, you know. And he wanted to reenact it or or have a gathering there or something. Germantown's oh, very cool. Oh, it is. My my grandfather went to Germantown meeting. Yeah, that's really cool. Wow. I remember going to Germantown Market years and years ago. I don't even know if it's still there. I have no idea. Uh, yeah, I haven't been to Germantown in a hot minute, but we lived in Kensington, so <laughs> I haven't been to Philly in years and years. Need oh, to go. Yeah, you got to go back sometime. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much, Jeff. This has been really fun. And what was thank I going to say? I'm going to say something know. else. We're definitely related, though, so we can take that. Yes, we're brother and sister cousins. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. You end up being related to a lot of people you didn't know. But yeah, it's really cool. Yep. So I will I will end with Mox Good, which means make, make good. I, I understood that one. Yes. I'm not ready to say it, but I understand. <laughs> well, it took me about 10 years. It's like box. Like we do this weird thing, right? Yeah. And then gut. Yeah. Yeah. Gut, I got. Yeah. Gut. Yeah. But I always call myself an Oli Valley Valley girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that 90s Valley girl <laughs> twang. 
I laugh at myself. They don't laugh when I say that, but. <laughs> that... <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, if you're laughing for an audience, what's the point? You don't laugh for yourself. Not at all. I have my own audience. Exactly. Anyway, yeah, for sure. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks for taking the time. It's so late. I well, appreciate it. Thank you it. for the time. Oh, it's fine. I've enjoyed it a great deal. It's nice to talk to you. And I, I enjoy your podcast. Enjoy oh, your thank art. Thank you. I will look forward to when we meet again face-to-face someday. Same, 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 same. And I'll definitely be at the Folk Fest, so come holla. I'd like to. All right. On a well, cooler day. Sure, <laughs> yeah, I, know, seriously, I, I can't guarantee that at all. No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Have a wonderful night and take you care too. and happy new year. Happy new year to you and Hunter and your kids. Indeed. Thank you very much. And you and yours as well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Max good. Thank you.